York City is dead forever. That is the title of a recent op-ed. If you don't think New York City is coming back, then you don't know New York City. Homelessness, drug use spiraling out of control in public view. People have wanted to come to New York City for generations. That's not changing. I don't think we're going to see a return to the old New York. Unquestionably, this city is coming back, and anyone who doesn't understand that isn't paying a lot of attention. Is New York City really in a death spiral? Will it mount an epic comeback? That debate raged as the coronavirus pandemic took its toll here. Today, the future of this city remains uncertain. I'm Steve Kastenbaum. I've lived in New York my entire life. As a third-generation native Brooklynite, I watched New York bounce back from the financial crisis of the 70s, explosive crime rates in the late 80s and early 90s, the terrorist attacks of 9-11, the Great Recession, and Superstorm Sandy. I'm a journalist who worked in radio for most of my career, and through it all, the one thing I learned is this. Anyone who ever wrote New York's obituary has been proven wrong. But now it seems different. Sure, those of us living here are steadfast in our belief that New York will bounce back, but we've also seen some of our neighbors flee the city while others lost their jobs. We see the long lines at food banks, our city's services being cut, our kids attending school and Zoom video calls. We ride the subway while wearing masks and wonder behind the veil whether we will ever return to normal. One thing that hasn't changed, though, is our resilience and perseverance. When faced with adversity, we New Yorkers are undaunted, determined, loyal, brash, confident, and unbeatable. I went across the five boroughs that make up this city, and I talked with my fellow New Yorkers about how they're getting by during this crisis. From musicians to restaurant and bar owners to Broadway performers, from educators to doctors and nurses, from people on their stoops to the people on the steps of City Hall. I wanted to figure out if another epic comeback is indeed a foregone conclusion, or if this time it's truly different. Is the coronavirus pandemic changing New York forever? And will the city be recognizable on the other end? You're listening to New York Gritty. When coronavirus restrictions put the brakes on New York's economy, thousands of musicians saw their livelihoods disappear in the blink of an eye. Broadway shows, club gigs, weddings, corporate parties. If performing live was how you survived in New York, you were out of luck. A few months into the pandemic, as the coronavirus figures fell and the weather warmed, New Yorkers emerged from isolation. Suddenly, it seemed like musicians were everywhere in parks, on street corners, in public plazas, outside restaurants, breathing life back into the city with every beat. That's the Marcus Strickland Trio, playing for a crowd at an entrance to Prospect Park on a warm evening. Uh, you're from Brooklyn originally, or where are you from? It, originally from Miami. We were born in Gainesville, me and my twin brother, EJ. Uh, but we lived, we grew up in Miami and uh, moved here uh, for college. The city was, you know, riding high right before the pandemic happened. Yeah. Gigs were becoming more and more plentiful for working mm -hmm. musicians. Oh, yeah. And then all of that was just shut down mm -hmm. in a heartbeat. What did that do to you 
Oh, well, it's it's something that's uh, surprisingly, um, you know, what we're, we're used to because we're, we're improvisational musicians. We're used to uh, having to to make do with what we have. <laughs> so we, we, we're very resilient in that respect. Um, we, we adjust to whatever's going around uh, us. And what, what's going on now is that there's a law in place that pro prohibits venues from having a live audience. So uh, we have to take the music straight to the people, which is actually a little bit better. You know, it's like there's no middleman. It's just music straight to the people. So um, yeah. You know, New York has a soundtrack and music plays a big part of that daily soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And that soundtrack was completely altered in, in April and May and, mm -hmm. and March, April and May. Mm -hmm. But then June came around, people started coming out again. And then by July, it seemed like there were bands, small and large, mm -hmm. on every corner, right? Mm -hmm. what, is, what is it that, what do you, as a musician, why do you think that happened? Uh, I think everybody was trying to wait it out, see what's, what's going to happen, what's going down. And then we, we started... Uh, taking matters into our own hands. You're out bringing music to people again. Oh, it's, it's definitely, uh, it brings, it, it, it makes you appreciate even more uh, the, the humanity of the situation, how it's a, uh, it's definitely a, a reciprocal energy that you get from the audience. And, uh, you know, we've been doing some gigs here and there in venues that are doing live streaming and everything, but there's something missing because it's like the live interaction with a, with a human. That's something that, uh, that we miss. So um, it's actually more fun to just play right here in front of people on the street. <laughs> and the occasional motorcycle or ambulance going by in the middle of a song. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, it's kind of equivalent to the, the espresso machine in the back of the club. <laughs> so you're, you're used to distractions yeah, then. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. What do you make of this whole situation with, with a lot of people saying New York is in a death spiral and we have so many people who've left the city and then that's being countered by people who are saying, who the hell are you to tell me that New York is dying? You know, what, uh, what, what do you make of all that? All we have is now. We don't have the future. We don't have the past. All we have is now, the present time. And that's, that's the main thing that kept me uh, uh, thriving through this whole roller coaster of emotions that was going on is to keep present and just deal with what's in front of me right now. Right now, I do not see death. Right now, I see people living, thriving, and you know that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna live. Hi, my name is Arielle Pallet. I am the first ever Senior Executive Director of the Office of Nightlife at the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment. That's a really interesting job because New York is, of course, the city that never sleeps. And so much of its reputation is built upon that nightlife. What does your office do? How did this office come to be? It is an interesting job to have, and interestingly, it was created just about three years ago. Um, this office was really created as part of a global movement. There's nearly over 50 offices of nightlife now around the world, and it's really about addressing 
the importance of the nighttime economy and culture and what it contributes to a society and seeing it in a whole new way, not necessarily as a liability, but an asset, an economic engine, as well as a cultural incubator and also part of each city's personal identity. And New York's identity is really unique. It draws people from all over the world. And that flow of people into New York who want to experience that nightlife never ends. This really is the center of the universe culturally for so many people in the United States because of its nightlife, right? Absolutely. New York is very unique in so many ways in the sense that it really is a not just a local but global uh cultural hub for creativity and innovation and culture. And it is absolutely integrated into who we are. It's why people come to live here, to work here, who visit here. And without it, it's just simply not the city we all know and love. And I think what this um, pandemic has shown is that it's not a luxury It's not simply entertainment. It is part of the fabric of who we are in every way and is essential to bring back stronger than ever. How many live performance spaces are there in New York City? Do you have an idea, a rough estimate of how many there are? I can tell you that pre-pandemic, the total number of nightlife establishments that includes restaurants, bars, live music venues is approximately 27,000 venues that supported nearly 300,000 jobs um, and had an economic output of $35.1 billion um, in economic activity. The music industry specifically, which is part of the nightlife and creative industries, accounts for approximately 50 8,000 of those jobs and $21 billion in economic output. And so there's a lot of people and a lot of businesses that rely on these venues to have their livelihoods intact. Wow. I am amazed at those figures because when I played in bands, I knew I was part of something bigger here in New York. I had no idea that the total economic impact of that act of of going on a stage and playing before a live audience was that, I mean, I knew it was big, but that's immense. Well, I think it's really important to recognize the ancillary impacts of hospitality and entertainment and nightlife in New York. Most people, when they go out to see a band, they go to dinner first, have drinks first. The, the women might get their nails done, their hair done, buy an outfit, Guys go out and get new shoes, the taxis, the pizza, the, you know, there's so many industries that are also integrated and actually dependent on life at night in New York. We know that it's the city that never sleeps, but in so many ways, it's also the other nine to five, an entire equal, if not greater economy and social energy is happening when most people or some people go to sleep. A whole other economy. 
As live music venues stayed closed month after month, some musicians traded stages for a backdrop of tall oaks and maples, shaded by a canopy of leaves as they played for New Yorkers in many of the city's parks and sought donations. What's your name? Bobby Spellman. And the name of the group? Dingo Neck Street Band. Musicians lost every available opportunity to, to play. Mm -hmm. How has this been for you as a musician? In any circumstance, you have to just, you know, make do with what you have. And sometimes limitation breeds creativity. So certainly in the beginning, like we had to, this opportunity to try to, you know, be a little more introspective with our writing and various other things, you know, or like collaborations over the internet. We'd record things, that, you know, all the projects turned into recording projects for a little while. Um, but it's definitely been tricky because so much of our lives is performing live with other people in real life especially as improvisers, especially as jazz musicians, so much of it is the interaction of the musicians. So that's been lost for a while. Uh, we, we changed to doing uh, live streams in probably May or something like that. We could start to do that where you'd start to get in a room with other people. Fortunately, we have a band here where we can play acoustic, so we can be outside and we, we just know amplification and uh, we're able to play some music. So uh, it's really about just, you know, like anything else, it's what you have is what you have to work with and sometimes Maybe especially as improvisers, it's been interesting to just try to work around the challenge, you know. What were you and what were your uh, bandmates here doing before the pandemic hit? Were you gigging out regularly? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, we were playing just about every week, and we do a lot of subway dates. So we'd go down to the subway and play for Music Under New York, um, play for the people, and doing club dates and playing whatever, playing clubs and, you know, a lot of weddings and things like that. You know, we all play in various different ensembles and things. So the, the source of income just dried up completely. Yeah, it sure did. Fortunately, a lot of us teach, and we were able to switch from teaching in person to teaching online, which you lose the energy of being in person, and you lose being able to play with the students in real time, but we were really fortunate to be able to continue to do the work in some respects. But yeah, we lost all the gigs for the whole summer, you know. Must have been a real demoralizing blow to you. You know, I don't know if it was demoralizing. It was just challenging, and it, you feel like... Um, you know, you have to work, you just have to work with what you've got. But, it, you know, some days you'd wake up. I know that my, I personally, I'd wake up some days and be like, all right, this is an opportunity to work on my craft by myself and to write new music and to try to just prepare for coming back when we get back to it, you know. And then other days I'd wake up and be like, well, my role in society is gone. Like it's, you know, like what is my purpose? You know, like it'd be a totally, you know, you know, swing from one day to the next. But you make it work, you know. So you have all of those people playing music and it, it runs the gamut from, you know, just some some people who've gotten together and have a garage band to those who have made this their profession. And, you know, there's a musician's union. There are people who play weddings and, and other affairs. And, and, and there's a really broad range of musicians who perform here in New York. But the one thing that happened to them and affected them entirely the same was their ability to perform was completely taken away from them because of the coronavirus pandemic and the subsequent shutdown. I mean, I think, you know, in, in a lot of ways, we're all sort of in the same boat, right? That's the executive director of New York's Office of Nightlife again, or as Mirabel de Blasio likes to call her. Our nightlife czar, czarina, Ariel Pallets. Everything was going along swimmingly and then seemingly overnight the bottom fell out 
for everyone. And um, 71% of musicians and DJs that were surveyed lost three quarters or more of their income overnight. The emotional toll was like being hit by a truck. One day you have a living and a life and friends and the next day it's all, it's all, it's all dark and it, the lights have not turned back on. And from our perspective, this office of nightlife, which was created, you know, as people joke to save nightlife (laughs) was in fact, you know, put in a position where now we're in emergency management, crisis management office, and trying very quickly um, to figure out how to find the floor again, to stand on, and to make sure that this city and this industry doesn't fall off a cliff. There's no doubt that especially for musicians and gig workers and people who live week to week and paycheck to paycheck. I mean, this has been a sheer terrifying experience. It is so important to the lifeblood of New York City, really. And and yet for so many musicians, when the shutdown happened, they, their identity was taken away from them, we hear them say. Mm-hmm. And as as things improved, as we had a little bit of a reprieve over the warm months during the pandemic, many of them just took to the streets and came together and started playing in plazas, on street corners, outside restaurants, in parks. Music was everywhere. And people I experienced were, were donating money and were trying to help these people. You know, they were, they were passing the hat and Venmoing tips to these bands. But, you know, then, then the coronavirus figures started climbing up again and the weather turned cold as it always does here in New York. So that took away their ability to at least make up for some of their lost income. Mm -hmm. What have you been able to do for all of those, you know, people who work in the gig economy? Yeah. I mean, this has been an extraordinarily dark time and it has come in two large dark waves. Um, As you mentioned, you know, the first wave was quite dark and then the sun came out and we were able to go out and experience some sense of normality and, 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 and relief. And then we knew going into winter, it was going to be another long, dark um, road before we hit uh, the end of this tunnel as well. And hopefully truly be on the other side of it. So in the meantime, you know, first of all, it's been it's been complicated because from a city, state and federal level, nobody's been in this position before. And everything, all of the solutions and all of the programs and all of the assistance is being sort of organized on the fly um, in a crisis management way. And so lots of efforts have been made to help to to stabilize uh, these people's lives in their ability to stay um, housed and fed and healthy and safe. What's your name? Emily Pecoraro. And you play alto sax today? Yes. Okay. I typically play um, in Broadway, and uh, we all sort of we play in the, the jazz scene in town, playing in, in different big bands and um, just kind of gigging around a lot. I um, have also in the past for a long time worked as a florist, but my main job is, mu- is music and is teaching. So you're on Broadway 
no one knows when it's coming back now. But when the pandemic first hit and it shut down, how were you feeling at the time? I mean, upset, at least like the rest of us, of course. I think that they figured out how to like disinfect the theaters. Like that is a, a th- that science, that technology they've gotten. But what people can't figure out is how to make it safe to, for people to be in the pit orchestra or to be on stage and, you know, where there's you can't distance at all. So that's like that's the next big step of like how, when, how and when does that come back? You know, it hit us like so quickly and we went from, you know, doing so well in New York City to literally the entire city shutting down. What was that like for you as a musician? A lot of people have handled the emotional reaction to that differently. Where a lot of people I know personally are really struggling with this because like, well, what is my role? Like, and I've been working so hard at this career that is difficult. You have to be smart and sort of entrepreneurial to make this work in the first place. Um, And then all of a sudden everything's gone. It's, it's tough, but I don't know. We're creative, so we needed to be kind of tap into that creativity and say, how can we make this work? And emotionally and like personally make it work. It's different for everybody. But what can what can we do to, to know that this is it might be a minute, but it'll come back. You know, like it's this isn't forever necessarily. And if certain things are won't come back, then, OK, well, what's going to come back in their place? And how could we be part of that? The, one of the trickiest things, too, is that the the uh, performing arts community, typically um, the the job life sort of mirrors the nine to five and that like you know everyone is off of work going out that's when we start playing and the summertime when people are off is when we are playing weddings and other things that are outdoors so the summer is usually our busiest time and and a big thing that a lot of people do to make some money in the summer is playing in wedding bands um, and different things like that just different outdoor gigs and there were none so a lot of people are feeling I think a little bit strapped and a little bit nervous um, which is in, in great part, I think, certainly in Brooklyn, why so many people are just leaving the city. Because it's like, well, I, there's you know, nothing for me here. We can do all, all, all of our recording work remote. Why not go? Like, we have friends that went up to Maine. And yeah. what do you think when, when you see all this controversy over the folks who are saying New York is dead and the others who are defending New York's honor? I mean, it's not dead. Maybe it's hibernating. I don't know. Like, it's really an interesting time, but it's, it's how can it die? Like, how can it come back? This is like the cultural hub of you know, one of the main cultural hubs of the world. I think that, I think it'll be a minute, but I think it'll come back eventually. We heard Mayor de Blasio talk about this new program that will address these people who work in that musical gig economy so they can actually perform before audiences again and actually collect ticket revenue for that. We will be bringing our cultural community back to the greatest stage in the world, the streets of New York City. Can you talk about that? Sure. That's Ariel Pallets again, the executive director of New York's Office of Nightlife. The Open Culture Program, it's a bill that passed was passed by the New York City Council, which allows artists cultural institutions and for-profit venues, right? Very often these type of programs are for non-for-profit cultural institutions, but the council and the mayor were clear that for-profit venues and artists should be able to um, stage ticketed outdoor events via this application process. And there are, I believe, 128 I think that's a, the, a, an accurate number, uh, street locations and an application process. And um, I think it's going to bring a lot of energy and relief, financial and spiritual, um, for the city and for these performers. Yeah, it's so uplifting for the people who have this opportunity to, wa- to watch these performances, whether it's music or some other 
performing arts uh, out in public. Uh, you know, we witnessed this over the summer months. Yes. You know, crowds of people gathered. And they they social distanced and they wore masks, but they were there in places like Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn, Union Square Park, all over the city. Mm-hmm. And they, you could see the impact that this had on them, the the positive impact it had for them on their mental health when they were able to just enjoy a performance, listen to some really good music. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm wondering though, is there any concern that it's, it may not get back to where it was because so many musicians, unfortunately, had to leave New York City. Listen, none of us really have a crystal ball into how all of this is going to pan out. But I, for one, am extremely optimistic that we are not only going to return, but we are going to be um, return even stronger uh, with more uh, gratitude, appreciation, understanding for what it is we nearly lost. And I believe that once we have the science and the safety protocols and procedures in place, that not only will we come back, what we will come back roaring for the new um, roaring 2020s. Um, and I think that that is historically evident, as was seen in the previous epidemic. Um, people will always need to be together and to celebrate and to dance and to sing and to be creative and to be around diversity. And New York will always be the best place to do that. <laughs> Musicians here face some overwhelming challenges, but despite all of that, many share Ariel Pallets' optimism. When the weather was nice, a masked audience would form in Brooklyn's Grand Army Plaza to listen to live jazz. Bands competed with the sound of passing traffic, drawing in runners, bikers, people out for a walk, and even the occasional driver would pull over. My name is Wayne Tucker. I am a trumpet player, vocalist, violinist, composer, arranger, based in Brooklyn from Syracuse, New York. Talk to me about what you've been doing these last couple of months. When did it start? How did it evolve? Um, Well, personally, when the pandemic started, I I suppose like when we were quarantined here, I made an album at my house um, involving all of the guys you see in front of us, as well as some guys and girls that are not here today. a few months in, maybe about maybe about the beginning of June, we started to come outside and busk. And initially we did it just for fun, and then we noticed it could be a source of livelihood for us. Musicians really uh, crave being with each other, right? Yeah. Can you talk about that? For me, I enjoyed making music, composing, uh, transcribing, which is to copy directly from recordings, you know, the, the sounds that you hear. So I had a great time doing that. But I did miss playing with other people, for sure, and I miss playing for people. 
And so to be able to do it, I remember the first gig that I played was actually an Orthodox Jewish wedding gig, which normally would be one of those things where it's not, you know, like it's fun, but it's not the thing that we all dream about. And the very first notes, I was like, oh, I really missed this. I missed this. I didn't realize it at the time, actually. But as soon as we started playing, I went, oh, I really, really missed this. So you got out here. When, when did the idea hit you to come out to Grand Army Plaza? Can you talk to me about what the air was like in New York City at that time? People were coming out again. Yeah, we were all just coming back outside, and everyone was just happy to see even strangers. You know, it was a thing where you'd even, like, smile or say hello to a stranger, which is not a usual New York thing, you know? And you started playing and... Yeah, we started playing, and the very first time it went really well. I mean, for us, we just wanted to go outside and play four people. But the very first time it went well, so we said, okay, let's come back. What has this pandemic been like for musicians? I mean, all of your gigs, whether you played on Broadway in, a, in, a, in the pit, or whether you played in the East Village at a bar, right. all of your gigs were immediately shut down. So what was this like for musicians? I mean, it's been terrible for musicians, honestly. Like for most of our friends that are from other countries, they've had to move away. For many people that you know are from this country, they've had to get other jobs. Uh, for me personally, it's been a great time for exploring more deeply my craft. And I've been really fortunate to get work, whether it was you know remote recording work or things like this. We're playing private events for people in these days, but like, yeah, for a lot of people, be, being a musician ceases to be an option at this point. You know what I mean? It, it went from a potential profession or a profession to a hobby for for the majority of our field. Yeah. So when you're playing out here, out in the streets, traffic is going by. Yeah. Sometimes you hear sirens or motorcycle engines, but you also have a crowd of sometimes hundreds of people out yeah. here. What do you think this means to New Yorkers? who lived through the worst of the pandemic and then June, July, August, September came out here again to be with others. I think that it just shows us, you know, that we as humans, that, that's part of the, the a deep human need is to be with others, I think, you know. I, I think for some people it's more than for other people, but yeah, everybody kind of feels it. You felt it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we all felt it. I, I saw it in the people's faces. I got it in Venmo messages from people and the expressions of people watching. You know, yeah, yeah, we all kind of feel it together. When you hear some people, the naysayers, saying New York is in a death spiral, what do you say to those folks? I mean, honestly, no one has any idea what the future holds in any way. I don't know why you'd make a, a negative prediction for something. You know what I mean? Like, we have no idea. This might be the end of, of all of humanity. It doesn't feel like the end of it here, though. No, it doesn't feel like it here to me. I'm just saying, like, I can't, I can't say you're wrong. I have no idea what's going to happen next year, you know what I mean, or the year after. But I know that right now I'm loving Brooklyn and loving the community of Brooklyn. And I think all the people who stayed, the ones who, for me, they're like true New Yorkers, because you wouldn't leave. You know, for example, our parents said, why don't you come back to Syracuse? That's because I'm at home right now, you know? So for people who stayed, I think this place is incredible, you know? But I've, I felt that way the whole time, and I'm grateful for every moment here. As summer gave way to fall and the weather cooled, coronavirus figures started to spike again here. The music in the streets faded as fall gave way to winter. 
The Broadway League announced that theaters would stay closed through the first half of 2021. Live indoor performances would remain on hold for some time to come as well. But thousands of musicians wait in the wings, ready to add new melodies to New York's continually evolving soundtrack. In the next episode of New York Gritty, we'll check in with restaurant and bar owners. How many of New York's once thriving eateries will find a way to survive? That's the big question that most people in bars and restaurants are looking at right now. Subscribe to New York Gritty on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. I'm Steve Kastenbaum. Thanks for listening.